Hello everyone, welcome to the Talk Us Through podcast. Today we have Mr. Sheen and Mr. Rushton to talk about films. So our first question, what is your favourite film and why? Who'd like to start? Um, well, everyone knows, well, anyone who goes to film club knows mine, mine is um, uh, Last of the Mohicans. Yes. Which is a Michael Mann film. And the thing I always say about it is that uh, Michael Mann takes the kind of authenticity uh, and appreciation of action and violence and character that he brings to, say, a cop film set in L.A. or Miami, um, like Heat or Collateral, and instead applies it to a 18th century story of love and romance and conflict um, in America. So it's kind of like a collision of an American action film with a Jane Austen film, which is one of my favourite films. Um, so that's why I like it. And I suppose mine is a slight cheat answer in that it's a series. Oh. Oh. <laughs> but it's Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings trilogy. Oh, which okay. is your favourite film, though? Oh, I, I would go Fellowship. Okay. I can still remember being 12 and going to the cinema and seeing the trailer being played for the first time. And it's my favourite because for similar reasons that Mr. Russian said about Last of the Mohicans, the authenticity that Jackson brings to, to Middle Earth, that fantasy world and, and the realism of it delivering on J.R.R. Tolkien's work and bringing all those words from, from page to screen. You know, there was, there was the Ralph Bakshi version of the 70s, but Peter Jackson just knocks it out of the park. What did you think about The Hobbit? Um, when it came out, I obviously compared it with Lord of the Rings and did not like it as much. However, as time has gone on, I actually think I see more of its merits than I did when it first came out, and I've enjoyed it more as time has gone on. Um, it's too long. <laughs> it's it's overinflated, but I think it has its merits. So does Lord of the Rings have that element of nostalgia then? Oh, yeah, without yeah. doubt. Like In the same way that you know kids of the 70s think about star wars that were there when it came out and we're like that that generation who saw it and likewise kids of harry potter yeah. and all the rest of it lord of the rings <laughs> yeah <laughs> lord of the rings was that for me but it does have a certain transferable greatness i think like it, it i remember when it came on tv in Papua New Guinea and I went into school the next day and was asking some of my colleagues kind of expecting them to be a bit what on earth is this and they loved it and they they appreciated and understood it connected with it mm. um, and my wife does like in many ways me and my wife have very little in common in terms of our upbringing and our background but we both love Lord of the Rings <laughs> uh, and, and we watch those three films once a year every year in sort of oh hour long bits <laughs> Like you'd watch a box set mm. all the time. Yeah, and it's entirely accessible. It's, it's good versus evil, ultimately. If you take all the wizards and monsters and everything else out, it's just good guys versus bad guys. Yeah. And if it does have a negative, unintended consequence, I think it, it's one of the reasons why films are too long. <laughs> in general, is everyone's just going, yeah. well, he got away with a three hour film, he got away with yeah. three three hour films, well, maybe all <laughs> films. Even if it's just a Spider Man film, it can now be two hours and 20 minutes when it should just be 90. <laughs> uh, and, and so films are just all too long now as a result, and Peter Jackson is to blame. Mm. What did you think about Avengers Endgame and Infinity War, like the two big ones? I mean, I, I love them, I love that stuff. I mean, I. I 
I get the problems with it, um, and I get the problems with the the, the Marvel Behemoth as a whole. Anyway, like the most recent ones, it's just a bit really? okay, and it's the same thing mm. over. Yeah. I, I was watching the Ten Rings, yeah, Shang and, and it starts with that huge flashback with all the special effects. And I was just thinking, well, if they'd had any courage, if they'd had any discipline, if they'd not seen Lord of the Rings and had limited, <laughs> if they'd had what Spielberg had had in the 70s, which is producers saying, you've got this much money and no more, then they'd have started on the bus. Yeah. You know, they have started in the bus scene in that film with the fight on the bus. And then the flashback would have been like it is in Indiana Jones when it's two guys, in, four guys in a room talking. And, and they'd have done that. And then when the dragons and stuff appear and it all goes nuts at the end, it would have meant something. It would have been cool. But that film, you watch it, and of course there's dragons because I've already seen Magical Ten Rings and an immortal human being in the first five minutes of the it's film. It's just too much money to spend, yeah. basically. And, I, I, and Mr. Sheen has heard me say this before. I think it's interesting you watch some of the modern Spielberg films, the way that he has scaled back. The way that even when he does something like like uh, War of the Worlds, he deliberately puts obstacles in his way. Like a lot of the special effects, particularly in the opening scenes of War of the Worlds, you see everything kind of reflected in things, not straight on, because he knows he could do that. So he's almost like he's trying to recreate the difficulties he had with the shark in Jaws, that it wouldn't work, and he had to invent, you know, do things with the music and the barrels. And so now he makes things like Bridge of Spies or... Lincoln, which is so much smaller because he can't do anything and he's understood that that's a problem. And so what you get films like Lost World, which is just too long and there's too much going on and they're losing sort of discipline and focus. Um, so I, I that, that was, that's no longer answering your question in any way. But, but on that line, though, what would you say is the most important elements of film? Um, I mean, I, I wouldn't say I'm, I'm quite on board with auteur theory, but I do think a, a, a director with a clear vision and a clear opinion of what to do, I think it is rare that films built by committee are good. There are exceptions. Um, so I, li I like that. I like to have a stamp. I, was, I, was just, I watched um, uh, Lockstock and Two Smoking Barrels last night, and it, it, that's so clearly and obviously the work of a single human being. Yeah. Um, and then um, music... It's interesting doing film club. How often I go back to scenes, and I'll, I'll say one of the key things that leads me to that scene is, or that film is the music, uh, and then I think probably script. If the script, I'm a words guy, and if the script is, yeah, uh, and if the script is good and it's quotable and I remember it, then then that's usually a sign. What about you, Mister? No, I totally agree with all those things. I think there's was that story in the 70s before Star Wars was aired, they played it without the music and everyone thought, what on earth is this? <laughs> and then they then played John Williams's majestic score over the top. And it was like, my God, this works. This is wonderful. Um, so music is is a massive part of it. Um, something like horror films. Watch a horror film when with, with the sound off. Mm, it's so not easy. half as scary. Yeah. Um, it, so the music definitely makes a big, a big difference. I think you know, what Mr. Rushton said is absolutely right. Um, a director with a clear vision, um, 
you, we talked about Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit, and I think one of the reasons why The Hobbit has some issues is because there was this kind of committee where it was Guillermo del Toro, then it was somebody else, then it was with MGM, then it was with other studios, and so many people had had their say in how it should be done, and Peter Jackson eventually was just left over taking over and doing what he could in the time that he had. Um, but script, you know... Star Wars prequels, anyone? Um, <laughs> the, the, the dialogue. There's the, the, the so much. I mean, because one of the things, if you're a serious geek and you're aware that if you bought the DVD, <laughs> yeah. DVDs, uh, there are four commentaries yeah. on those films. There's an actor's one, which is a lot of fun, yeah. and there's a director's one, but there's a script one. Yeah. And is it, is it his wife, right? Yeah, Fran Walsh and Philippa Boyens, the producer. She put so much work into that script, into getting it. Mm. Exactly right, and we're changing it mm. up to the last minute. Um, and I think, do you think, like an actor, like do you, like can you? Are, are there examples of say great films that have so-so actors or vice versa? Can you can you make a great film without good actors? And can because good actors can be in bad films. Yeah, yeah, very well. Natalie Portman yeah. is yeah, yeah. <laughs> Queen Amidala is an example of that. Um, Bad actors in good films. Essentially, you picked out her and not Anakin. Well, no, but, but, <laughs> no, but she's a good actress. Yes. <laughs> exactly. No, no, no. She's a very good actress in Because interestingly, there's in a, does a, well. a low budget film, I forget what it's called, that has him in it and he plays a reporter mm. who, who was briefly successful until it turned out he had lied about all his stories. And that's a good film. Mm. Uh, and he, his. Badness kind of works because he's a kind of cocky, hateable guy. Mm. As the film goes on, yeah. it kind of it kind of conspires to work well. Yeah, I, I don't know. I suppose it depends on the actor and what they sort of play towards. So this, you know, I don't want to um, uh, throw shade at any actors <laughs> and their abilities. But for example, you know, I would argue that Orlando Bloom, for example, is very. <laughs> reasonably two-dimensional two dimensional, yeah. and that most of the performances are the same I mean that works in Lord of the Rings because he's yeah. meant to be this kind of aloof elf um, that's kind so of looks into the distance constantly and I'm like that works that's great the Caribbean as well yeah and yeah. then it's the same thing in Pirates of the Caribbean then you watch Kingdom of Heaven and it's the same thing again and then you watch um, that film about the oh was it boxing or something yeah, that he yeah. did and you watch that and it's the same thing again you're like Oh, okay. Well, he, um, he sort of cinematically fails upwards, doesn't he? Basically, yeah. every, and he gets every job he gets, he gets because he got the other job, and then he's already done it by the time they you actually see the previous job, and you go, oh, if I'd seen that, I probably wouldn't have cast him. And then, but it's too late, and he's already rides this wave of films, <laughs> and then finally the wave finishes, and then he disappears off the face of the earth and then reappears on TV which is yeah. probably where he belongs no <laughs> or it's that. like in um, in Harry Potter where I wouldn't say that Daniel Radcliffe or Emma Watson or Rupert Grint are the best actors in the world they're supported so much by the kind of surrounding cast yeah. that it's, they're still good films even though yeah. some of their lines are kind of like still or whatever but my theory on Potter sorry is, is particularly in the first two is that the script is terrible in, yes. in, in my opinion. Speak like middle-aged yeah, people. Yes, yeah. yes, they don't, don't talk like a human. They, like No 11-year-old boy would talk to each other <laughs> the way that Ron and uh, and Harry talk to each other. Yeah. Um, and, oh, and, really and, no. yeah, and then <laughs> you compare that <laughs> You compare that with the way that Rickman uses that script, and yeah. and uh, and um, Maggie Smith used the script. These are serious stage actors who are quite prepared to twist and torture words until it sounds right to them. 
Sorry. No, that's basically what I was going to say anyway. I was going to say that Maggie Smith, we were talking about how Orlando Bloom, he doesn't have very much range. Like, it's good when he does it, but it's not, like, great. It's not and exceptional. Exactly. But Maggie Smith, like, she's in, even though she tends to play, I mean, nowadays, I haven't seen any, like, her earlier films, but with stuff like Harry Potter or Nanny McPhee or even, like, The Lady in the Van and stuff like that, it's very, like, she still manages to bring out the different aspects of those characters even while putting forward a similar, like, attitude towards it. Mm-hmm. Yes. Different personalities and older women. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> That's how you summarise that. <laughs> Talking about mainstream films and the differences between films then and films now, do you think mainstream films are going downhill and losing some of those elements? I, I, I no. Um, <laughs> I, I think, you know with all sorts of culture you have these arguments of going oh it's going to the dogs it's going downhill and it's dumbed down this and dumbed down that and people in 20 30 years will be saying the same thing about whatever it's like then um i think if you look at what's available now you've got studios you know like marvel producing all of that kind of stuff but then you've got films like belfast or films like roma and some of these the dig on netflix there's some really interesting um films that are coming out as well so i don't i don't buy the the argument that that there is some sort of decline it's just some films are good some films are bad (laughs) and there is a tension what you hear people talk about is this idea that yeah the kind of mid-budget film that that might be sort of disappearing and i'm not sure that it is because i think there may have been a concern that that was happening but within the last two years what's happened is that is that sort of mid-budget film has found a, a, a home on streaming and so yes so you're now getting those sorts of things that are being made like knives out or whatever that are still high quality mid-budget being made significant people involved belfast a really good example um i don't think belfast is streaming straight away but they no. often turn up streaming quite quickly uh and they do sort of find a home so they are sort of being made there is perhaps the change is perhaps that they're almost serving a very different purpose to the biannual Marvel film, which is, and I think my concern is not so much that there's a, is that they are just, you know, you turn up and you see the same thing. You know exactly mm-hmm. what you're getting. Uh, you know, and, and that, in some ways that's why I, I love Avengers Endgame and Avengers uh, um, Infinity War because they, they did feel like a combination of a moment yeah. uh, and I think it's a problem for Marvel is that they what do I, I have to because if I have to sit through three sort of Immortals films or whatever they call it until we get to the good one I'm not sure I've got that kind of energy anymore <laughs> um, to do that um, whereas then the relatively low budget stuff like The Dig that's a completely different sort of deal and, and it is a shame it would be a shame if cinema does just become almost solely the home for you know what used to be called a pictures like like you know big musicals big action films james bond that sort of thing i was going to say um back to the kind of like they have too much money to spend there's something really nice about kind of like mid to low budget films because they have to think a lot more creatively about like mm. like you were saying with like um spielberg using reflections instead of doing it for that as a challenge um, it just you get a lot more clever shots, and it's not kind of like yes, look at all our hyper real CGI, whatever. Mm-hmm. It's kind of more substance, I think. Mm-hmm. My favourite Marvel scene is the elevator fight in uh, Captain America: Winter Soldier. 
It's it's brilliantly constructed. It's really gnarly. It's great. It's 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 based on sort of character. Yeah, it's also an action film, and it's you know ten guys in a tiny room, and that's it. It's not helicopter helicarriers and, and aliens and, and whatnot. Um, and it, and a, a brief script, but a brilliant script. Mm-hmm. He says yeah. before we get before, before we get before we get started. Does anybody want to get? <laughs> Um, on that kind of line of reasoning, what are your thoughts on indie versus franchise films? My honest opinion, if it's good, I, yeah. I'm not really bothered. Um, um, like I said earlier, some indie films are good, some indie films are bad, and yeah. some franchises are good, and some franchises are bad. Like I, I, I would never want to see franchises kill off indie films because that's where so many directors, actors, uh, crew members cut their teeth and learn their craft and, and become amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm not against franchises per se. You know, would people ever want to kill off Harry Potter, Star <laughs> Wars, Marvel, all that kind of stuff? People enjoy that. So I think there's room for both. But you, but you forget in many ways. Star Wars, even though it's mm. actually made by a... Mm. a big studio in many ways that is an indie film yeah, yeah. yeah that is a guy yeah, that is a director was. making his third film yeah. with a with for what it was a shoestring budget yeah. with an almost entirely unknown cast being filmed in pokey old england with the you know the english green cross code man and a boat, bunch of extras from grange hill playing the evil empire like it's it's really low rent and low budget with a totally indie uh, methodology and interestingly that's what Ian McCallan, was it Ian McCallan or, 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 or the dwarf said about um, uh, Lord of the Rings? Was he said this, it had, because Peter Jackson was an indie filmmaker, Peter Jackson mm. made low budget, mm. weird horror, and then, and, and when he was first given that gig, of, and, and again, it, it wasn't like it was Paramount, it's New Line. New Line does relatively it, Relatively yeah, yeah. low stakes, Studio and for again for what it was three films mm. for what was then I think hundred million something like that wasn't yeah. that much for what it was um, and he had this very indie sensibility and I forget who it was who was saying it was one of the actors one of the old English actors in it was saying you and you you got a sense that if you went up to him and said hey can we do it this way he'd have gone yeah yeah let's do that and it would, they were still making things up as they go mm. along bodging things together with masking tape and it had this indie scene and that's what you get I think with an indie film um, and what do you guys think are the best indie films because when I first think of indie I start to think of the aesthetic and like Call By Your Name and Lady Bird and stuff but that seems to be that's, one of that's the mainstream indie show exactly. it's the, like the new generation the popular indie <laughs> films but like what are the the best ones in Europe. Well, I guess where your issues is because you've got your, your technical definition of indie mm. as in yeah. independent, as in not made by a major studio, which is on a, in of itself a, a problematic yeah. um, definition, not least because lots of big studios have an indie division. So Fox, 20th Century Fox, has Fox Searchlight, which is their own indie division, which they make <laughs> indie films in. But it's clearly Fox. And you're not <laughs> kidding anybody. So it is... So I guess in many ways what we're looking for is independent spirit. It's more what we're sort of yeah. talking about. Um, and in Film Club we're doing debuts, and a lot of debuts are like that. And so, uh, like, I don't know if 28 Days Later is technically mm. indie, but it's half a dozen guys and some digital cameras sort of 
running around London at dawn in the summer and it's stunning, you know, and it's brilliantly put together. Um, and that's a, that's a really good example of what famously Blair Witch Project. Yeah, mm. you know, something a really good idea, no money, complete mm. unknowns. Yeah, you know, what do you think? Yeah, I agree. I think when you talk about indie films, your issue is definitions and go, well, well what is an indie film? Yeah. Um, but I, I was going to say Blair Witch absolutely stands out. Oh, would you, you'd almost. Train spotting going with with that. It's almost yeah. Uh, it's it's circle, kind it? yeah. It's yeah. kind of in that same vein. Um, there's yeah. There's some. Palm absolute... Springs. Have you seen Palm Springs? Mm-hmm. Palm Springs is on. I think Amazon Prime, and it's a kind of a Groundhog Day with a twist thing. It's fantastic. It's so good. It's so funny and so fresh and really enjoyable. I couldn't recommend it enough. And again, it's. It's half a dozen guys in a resort <laughs> in the desert, just with a really, with a really clever idea, um, uh, just 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 committing to it completely and making it really work. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you think about style over substance then? And um, specifically, <laughs> Wes Anderson. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm a '90s guy, so I'm I'm a sucker for style mm-hmm. as a thing, and I'll often. You know, if a, if a film is stylish, that often papers over a lot of cracks. Is style for, for you like cinematography or like camera style, editing style? Um, I mean, it's those things. I mean, it's often palette as an initial starting point, but then there's the, it all, you know, comes together, dialogue and, and, and the, the, the mise-en-scene, if you will, <laughs> of um, the film. Um, but... Uh, you know, like, uh, like I think we talked about on film. But there's a there's a, a bit in the '90s where everybody is washing out their films and, and they're bleached out, like starting with Spielberg and Saving Private Ryan, and then carrying on. And and people got very tired of it very quickly. But I love that. I like like something that looks different. When we did the colours in film that you suggested the other week, that was great, and, and it did make me think. Yes, I like and. And often you don't realise until you study it, oh, yeah, I love the palette of that film. I didn't even realise that Amelie is just green throughout <laughs> with the, with all these other, and what that means. And you can always tell when you look back yeah. on it, that is Amelie. Um, what do you think? Yeah, I, I think it, it harks back to the question you asked earlier as to what are the most important elements in film, as to what you think is style and what you think is substance. There are plenty of people that would regard you know cgi special effects as purely style but for the people that go to the cinema to watch that stuff for the cgi and to see you know stuff blowing up and whatever then that is the style uh that is the substance sorry um i think style like mr rushton you know style can paper over a lot of cracks and style can get me to the cinema but it's substance that gets me to stay. Mm-hmm. Um, there... Walked out halfway through. So <laughs> Have you ever walked out? I think I'm a little bit tight, and I would always <laughs> resent. <laughs> but yeah, I would resent spending my money and then walking out. So I don't think I have. Have you? No, nearly. Answered Alan in your most terrible. I watched and I wanted to get up and leave, but I was with people. Yeah. Um, I've fallen asleep plenty of times. Um, I, that, that's kind of an expensive nap, um, but never walked out. I think I've, I fell asleep during, like, for half an hour during No Time to Die, no, and I woke oh up gosh. and I didn't miss anything. 
I think it was. It was, a, it was, it was a good film. But was, it, was it the Abominable Snowman animation? Uh, yeah. I took oh, my daughter must have been sure. about eighteen months, two, two maybe. She was talking a bit, so maybe. And we turned up, and we both sat down. She sat on my lap, and we slept <laughs> oh, five minutes in to five minutes from the end. And she stood up, and she went, "That was nice." And <laughs> Going back to the style over substance, yeah, I don't know if you've watched The House on Netflix. It was a dark comedy stop motion and I watched it with my brother oh about the house that comes alive and it's... yes yeah, yeah, there's yeah, yeah. three different stories and there were so many gaps in the in the plot line and so many questions <laughs> that I was asking so I sat there just appreciating the fact that the fire was made out of cotton like cotton buds or something right. like that <laughs> so I, I can see what you mean there. So, so then the interesting case and, and me and Mr Sheehan had there's a slight fault line between us here is that, is that the prequels, the Star Wars prequels, have a definite style. Yes, they do. And a lot of attention, like when I was, because before I knew how terrible they were, when I was reading <laughs> in the lead up to Phantom Menace, and they were talking about this, that, that famously in New Hope, everything was kind of grubby and secondhand because it was this plucky little rebellion, and so all their equipment's nasty and secondhand and dirty. And then, but everything. They wanted to make everything in uh, Phantom Menace look simultaneously futuristic and yet retro because it all had to look older from a bygone era yet at the same time be sci-fi. So you get these really interesting designs like Obi-Wan spaceship and things mm -hmm. that, and, and the Naboo spaceships and stuff. But they're kind they've got this slightly almost 50s American sweep to them with yeah, yeah, yeah. things to give everything a slightly retro vibe. So there's clearly style. Yeah. And there's a definite style to the dialogue. <laughs> You're breaking my heart. But it, but it doesn't hang together. And I think, and one of the one of the good reviews of it talks about how one of the reasons why you can't engage with it is because none of it makes any sense on any human level. Like they, nobody, everyone is just making decisions that no human being will make at that moment. The, the, the bit where, where where they've got the captain of the ship. The young plucky Padawan, Qui-Gon, I don't know what is going on with Qui-Gon, and then the princess, who is a young, vulnerable woman, and then an idiotic rabbit. <laughs> and the captain and the young Jedi are the guys who stay at the ship and do nothing. Mm. And the guys who go into the village are... I'd never thought about that The princess and the rabbit. Point, yeah. And they're the guys who go in to find the unbelievably important space part that they mm -hmm. can't leave without <laughs> and it makes no sense whatsoever and you are just sat there going yes and, you, and it's also not what you want to watch you don't mm -hmm. want to watch those two you want to watch the kick-ass space captain and the young Ewan McGregor and then <laughs> space captain and Ewan McGregor spend the half hour of that particular film complaining about how they got nothing to do and you're like I totally agree with you <laughs> I'd rather see you do this what do you think about the sequels next that's our other fault line like I I think Mr. Sheehan does appreciate that there are issues with the prequels, but he has fonder memories and views of them than I do. But he's more critical of the sequels. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. I mean, I was, nine when, I was nine when the prequels came out, so they have a lot of nostalgic baggage <laughs> in, my, um, in my view. Um, I, will, I can see the issues. The, the line in Revenge of the Sith when... Uh, 
Jimmy Smith's character says something about like, what's happening? And he goes, we have no idea. She has lost the will to live. <laughs> is, is, is one of the most awful lines in the film. But I kind of find it funny now. And I kind of watch her like, oh, it's that line. <laughs> You're a scam. Um, there, are, there are undoubtedly issues with it, with dialogue, with acting, with... Uh, Plot holes that aren't resolved. Who was Master Cypher Diaz? We'll never know. Um, but, uh, you know, it, there, there are lots of problems with it. However, I appreciated what George Lucas was trying to do. Yeah. And I at least credit him for what I would say is a reasonably original-ish story. Like, he doesn't just rehash the old... Star Wars movies, which is my problem with the sequels. Mm-hmm. I think, order. yeah, I think the sequels are very well made films. Production, um, artistry, design. I think they're fantastic in that regard, and much better than the prequels. But they did just make a New Hope again for Episode Seven. I'm like, what is this? Like, it's the same film. Um, Rise of Skywalker is just Return of the Jedi in a different coloured lunchbox but otherwise it's the same film and the film that lots of people had issues with which was The Last Jedi episode 8 I actually think is the best of the sequels because it's the only one I couldn't sit and go bet he's going to (laughs) die bet this is going to happen next bet there'll be another Death Star-esque type thing that one was different and I and I appreciated that I didn't necessarily agree with all the plot choices that Ryan Johnson made you know like I said this to Mr Rushton before if you're going to do a Star Wars sequel. The one thing, the one thing that the fans want is just one moment, even if it was for 10 seconds, where Luke, Leia, and Han Solo are together. <laughs> Did we get that? No. <laughs> what was that about? Well, like, he had already died by that point. Exactly. So, yeah, Why was it never done? <laughs> <laughs> no, I get, but, but again, interestingly, that's arguably perhaps the issue with doing it by committee, because famously, didn't they, the three guys who wrote the three different films were told were given very few yeah. limits to what they could do. Um, and I, I, I agree with you. Well, it's Ryan Johnson, right, with the, second, yeah. with the second prequel, what he does, and that wonderful decision to make basically her a refugee. Yeah, yeah. Like in 2000 and whenever, 10, that's not politically independent of what's going on in the wider world. So to make her, she's a refugee uh, and a, a, a refugee orphan, Oh, it's just dumped on this planet and to make her of no known heritage is so important and for them to then undercut it and then go, <laughs> yeah. no, actually you're the descendant of the Emperor, whatever nonsense it was. <laughs> I did feel no, I I had I haven't seen the third one again. I only saw the third one once. I've seen the first and second of the sequels a bunch of times. Um but I've never I've never gone back to the third. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, to kind of wrap up on that, which no films, <laughs> kind of three to five, would you recommend to someone interested in film, but first, like, getting into it? <laughs> Such a massive question. Yes, because it also depends on, because we both got young children, so it is something that we think about. So yeah. Like, like, what films to show. Like, my son has watched um, Captain America Winter Soldier way earlier than he probably should. Um, and I could not have been more prouder of him when we were watching Transformers. And he just turned to me and went, I have no idea what's going on. Why didn't they show us the fight between Bumblebee and the police car? Why did it happen off screen? And I said to him, I love you so much. <laughs> exactly what I thought. Why? So in some ways you almost want to show him something bad. So, uh, do you know why this is bad? 
Um, I mean, Raiders of the Lost Ark, I would yeah. say. For me, that is a flawless. Mm. There's not a second wasted. There's no. not a second I change in that film. It's excellent. Um, if you're going for a classic, I'd chuck Casablanca in there. Yeah. I think it's my favourite black and white movie. Mm-hmm. I think it stands up well today. It's got romance. It's got the perils of World War Two. It's got comedy. It's got music. It's got historical significance. Exactly. It's written by emigrants from, um, uh, and and some of the cast that emigrates from from Germany and, and mm-hmm. Europe who ran from the Nazis. It's made in forty three. Yeah, whilst the war's still going on. Um, something I didn't get onto, which was part of the kind of like um, mainstream film going downhill. One thing I do think going downhill is musicals. So you used to have quite. Like very good. You used to have things like um, like Calamity Jane or My Fair Lady or Singing yeah. in the Rain or those kind of things. And yes, they're still musicals, but they're they're very clever in the way they were put together. And Singing in the Rain does a lot of very clever things. Whereas now it's kind of just like taking anything that was on stage and putting it in putting movie. putting it straight into a movie, even if if it's not really supposed, it doesn't really translate well into film format. And I think to influence the fans and to get them on their side they keep taking old cast and putting them in movies yeah. so i'm taking dear evan hansen mm. as their main example yeah yeah like dear evan 25 hansen. year old guy yeah. I, I appreciate your point but a lot of those old ones were originally stage shows before yeah. they were movies like sound of music greece um my fair lady all of those were already in the west end or broadway before they were made into film i think there's something about they don't Every musical now has a sort of don't know how to describe it, but it's it's the ABBA musical or yeah, yeah, the yeah. Queen. It's a jukebox. Or, yeah, it's either a jukebox musical or it's or it's it's a reimagining of something. So Les Mis or West Side Story, um, and so but yeah, I think you're right. There's there's, no, there's rarely do they just go here is. I mean, almost, La La Land is almost that. Like, almost that classic, here's just a good story, and we whack some songs and dance at it. In a, in a way that is coherent and, and makes sense. Um, also quite I, boring. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> interesting, there's, there's Anna in the Apocalypse is an interesting case there, because there you have a, a banging musical, and it's just also a zombie apocalypse film um, involving school children. Um, but, but you're right, it doesn't, those what you might call run-of-the-mill vanilla. So yeah. if you had to, if you're going to show our person who we're getting into films one musical, what would you pay? Uh, yeah, I'd probably go with Sound of Music, because you can watch it, because I watched a lot of musicals when I was younger and I didn't appreciate them until I was older, but I always liked the Sound of Music, because um, it's not hard to follow and it's got good songs and... The cast is amazing. Julie Andrews. <laughs> yeah, so probably Sound of Music. I think I'd want to, and I'm not just saying this because I'm pandering to a girls' school, but <laughs> the two versions of Little Women, the one from the 90s mm-hmm. and the oh, one from recently, because they're both good, right? They're both well acted, but just to show the difference that a director can make in terms of structure yeah. and, and how important it is to do what Kristen Gerwin did with the last one, they flip things around and move things around, it gives so much more air and space. To the relationship between I can't remember his name. Timothy Yes, <laughs> who's the character? Laurie, Laurie. Yeah. and um, Amy. Yes, because um, um, that always feels tagged on if you mm. if you don't do that, mm. and how important that different voice and different 
and turn what is a good film into a great one, mm. I think, if that's what yeah, yeah, to say. Because the 90s one is great, and it's amazing cast, amazing script, but it is, it is just one of the mill. And it, perhaps going back to our theme, perhaps, of style, it doesn't have the style. Uh, um, and, 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 and it's a structural style rather than a visual one, I suppose, mm. that you get regretto. Um, I guess you go with version. And the star that I would argue, Timothy Chalamet adds to every single one. No. <laughs> <laughs> I still think I still prefer the ni uh, 1990 version. Well, I don't know, it depends on whether you want Christopher, no, Christian Bale, Christopher or, Bale, or an actor who just acts as if they have a stomachache the whole. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I think that's probably it because we don't have any time left. So thank you very much, uh, Mr. Russian and Mr. Sheehan, for thank talking you. about this. Um, I hope you enjoyed it. Yeah, it's <laughs> very good. And for sixth formers, come to Film Club. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Friday lunchtime. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thanks, guys. This has been the Talk Us Through podcast with Saskia, Tashita, Eloise and Olivia and Mr. Sheen and Mr. Rushton. Just so you know, in the far future, there will be another episode probably discussing historical films and their many inaccuracies. Um, so stay tuned for that. Thank you and goodbye.